From American Public Media, this is Campaign 68. I'm Kate Ellis. The late Roger Ailes was a master manipulator of Americans' opinions. As a media consultant, he helped propel a series of Republican candidates to victory. Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Rudy Giuliani. As you've heard in the podcast, Ailes was also the mastermind behind Richard Nixon's successful media strategy in 1968. In 1996, Ailes helped launch Fox News. Journalist Gabriel Sherman is the author of a biography of Roger Ailes called The Loudest Voice in the Room. Stephen Smith talked with Sherman recently about the extraordinary impact Ailes has had on American politics, including the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Gabriel Sherman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. The late Roger Ailes was the chairman and CEO of Fox News for 21 years, but back in 68, he uh, was up and coming and he convinced the Nixon campaign to hire him um, as what we would now call an image consultant. What was the pitch that Roger Ailes made to the Nixon camp? Yes. So in 1968, uh, Roger Ailes uh, was then the executive producer of The Mike Douglas Show, which at the time was the number one rated daytime variety talk show in America uh, with an audience of millions. And Richard Nixon was on the campaign trail and was stumping in Philadelphia where The Mike Douglas Show uh, was recorded. And it was backstage during this appearance when Roger Ailes, uh, as the legend goes, went up to Nixon and said, uh, Mr. Vice President, you need a media consultant. And Nixon said something to the effect of, what is that? And Ailes said, that's me. And Ailes's pitch was that Nixon could use the, the production techniques of daytime television, the lighting, the camera angles, the staging, to affect a positive image to voters. And this was really appealing uh, to Nixon because, as historians have written through the years, it was Nixon's appearance in the 1960 debate alongside John F. Kennedy in which Nixon appeared sweaty and almost ghostly on camera uh, with a five o'clock shadow beard that caused many people to, to switch their votes and find Kennedy the much more literally attractive candidate. And so Ailes' pitch to improve the image of Nixon was something that uh, Nixon immediately jumped at, and he told his campaign advisors to hire the then young Roger Ailes, who left his job at the Mike Douglas show to work on the campaign. And uh, it was sort of that moment that both media and politics were forever changed uh, in post-war America. Modern presidential campaigns are so tightly organized and still so choreographed for television that a lot of people have no idea what a pre-1968 presidential campaign was like. Can you describe some of the bygone features of those earlier days? Well, prior to 1968, presidential politics were really ruled by the print media. This was the golden age of newspapers in the post-war era. And Richard Nixon uh, was really the politician who wanted to break the monopoly that print journalists had on shaping uh, the news and informing the way Americans thought about national politics. And this was uh, the precise reason why he wanted to use television, that the, the use of television in presenting uh, himself directly to the voters was going to go over the heads of the uh, national print 
journalists. And this was um, really his strategy to reorder the way presidential politics was conducted in America. We'll get more into uh, Roger Ailes' technique, but let's talk a bit about him uh, as a person. Where did he come from? What was his background? Roger Ailes grew up working class in Northeast uh, Ohio in the town of Warren, which is really a a symbol of um, sort of the industrial Midwest and all of the trials that that region uh, has suffered in recent years. Uh, In Roger Ailes' time, uh, when he was born in 1940 and growing up in the 40s and 50s, Warren, like many Midwestern small cities, was a booming uh, center of manufacturing, mostly centered around the automobile industry. Um, It was a conservative place. It was a largely, at the time, sort of white community. And Ailes' father was a strict, tyrannical presence in the, in the house and ruled uh, through fear and inculcated in Ailes, you know, a belief that the world was a rough place. And it was sort of shaped this pugnacious and uh, domineering personality that Ailes would then carry forth and, you know, fueled his rise through both politics and the media worlds to the pinnacle in which he was uh, the CEO of Fox News. But as I write in my biography of Roger Ailes, it was that experience growing up in Warren that shaped his values and his view uh, sort of cultural resentment and the idea that the little guy in the Midwest was trampled on by these college-educated elites that would define both his own politics, but in many ways, the politics of the Republican Party all the way through the current moment. Did Roger Ailes recognize something about television and politics in 1968 that other people didn't? What made him special? Well, what Roger Ailes saw was that politics was no different than any other performance. It was a TV show. Um, You know, we might dress it up with high-minded ideals about the Constitution and and America and uh, and all of that. But what Ailes saw was that you know people voted based on their emotional reaction to politicians that they got from viewing them on television. And you know Roger Ailes is famous for um, a saying that if you had two candidates on a debate stage and one proposed the cure for cancer and the other one fell on his face you know, what would be driving the headlines the next day. And of course, it was the person who crashed. Um, So it was this idea that spectacle was what drove politics. And he applied that to Nixon in the 68 campaign by staging these very highly choreographed town halls uh, in which um, panels of voters were assembled by Ailes to ask questions to uh, the candidate Nixon uh, in the appearance of it being a um, a real town hall unscripted debate. But in fact, because the panelists had been pre-screened by Ailes and all the camera angles and the lighting were meticulously planned, it was uh, entirely a, a sort of a very safe control television production that gave off the appearance of a legitimate, almost a news event. And I think that, that staging, that manufactured, um, almost soundstage-like, presentation of something as being legitimate when in fact it was a piece of political image making is exactly the idea the sort of the, that was the ge- the genesis of what he would later apply at Fox News. And this was paid media, right? I mean, this is this wasn't TV networks or stations giving them free airtime. They were buying it for the campaign. Yes, exactly. These were uh, one hour 
primetime specials that the Nixon campaign bought and paid for. But the way in which they were presented, they were almost presented as news reports. They were introduced as Nixon in Philadelphia taking questions from citizens or Nixon in Atlanta. Um, He did these in, in cities all over the country. And so if you were tuning in at home and you happened to miss the little banner at the bottom of the screen that that acknowledged that the Nixon campaign had paid for television time, you might think, if you are a viewer, that this was just a news program of Nixon answering questions from citizens. And so it was a very innovative and, in, in many ways, provocative piece of political uh, media that was highly effective. And after uh, Nixon won the election, Ailes overnight became an in-demand image coach for Republicans um, at all levels of government, from from governors and congressmen to, to senators. And later he would go on, of course, to, to repeat his success in presidential politics by getting George H.W. Bush elected in 1988. Say a little bit more about how Ailes employed class and racial divisions over the years in his media work in that 30 years between the 1968 campaign and the founding of Fox News. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. Really what what Ailes understood about politics is that people make political decisions based on fear, not hope. And I it's it's really something that almost he had an innate understanding of. It wasn't something that he had uh, studied in school. Um, he, you know, came out of the communications department at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. So this was something he came to organically. And what Ailes realized is that promoting issues of cultural and class resentment was a way to divide voters into into sort of segments and to appeal to them as a as an aggrieved interest group. And so in 68, you know, he learned this by watching, you know, Nixon proclaim that he was speaking for the quote silent majority. And that was a uh, a lesson that Ailes would take throughout his career, and and in very you know ways that um, many people interpreted it as uh, race, racist and highly divisive. And we should you know recall that in 1988, the George H. W. Bush campaign was associated with the Willie Horton ad uh, that uh, that tried to um, blame Michael Dukakis, the Democratic candidate, for allowing uh, Horton, an African American criminal to go out on the streets and commit you know murders and rapes and this was uh, this was something that was produced by an outside political group but then seized on by the Bush campaign in a way that would stoke fear in the minds of, of voters in, in highly racial terms and so class religion race you know these kind of highly polarizing uh, identity issues were were uh, themes of all of Ailes's political campaigns and of course he would uh, apply them to his programming strategy at Fox News, you know, with um, now famous uh, segments like the war on Christmas and, and, and things like that. Was Ailes himself a bigot? You know, as a reporter and a, and a writer, I can't, it's hard, you can never get in the minds of your subjects, uh, but you can, you can write about what they say and what they do. And the people that I interviewed in the course of uh, reporting uh, my book. I did more than 600 interviews for it. Um, I you know, heard stories time and again about Ailes's own bias against minority groups, the gay community, Muslims. So, you know, Ailes definitely spoke in, in highly bigoted ways about different minority groups. And, you know, he would 
proclaim many times that he was not a racist, but I think you know his record clearly presents a, a different point of view. So Roger Ailes helps launch Fox News in 1996, I believe, essentially creating what some people have described as a Republican or a right-wing propaganda machine. How did he do that? What particular gifts or types of knowledge that did, did he possess that we haven't talked about already that made him so successful in the the launching and the and the propagation of Fox News? Well, when um, Rupert Murdoch hired Roger Ailes in 1995 to start to launch Fox News, Ailes had just been fired by NBC and was really kind of down and out. And this was going to be the final uh, nail in the coffin. He had one more chance to have uh, a third act to his career. And what he did was that he built Fox News more along the lines of a political campaign than a journalistic organization. And the number one value Ailes prized was loyalty. And so he built a top-down, almost military-like organization where he was the general and all of the lieutenants and producers below him would follow his daily directives. And he ruled through fear and paranoia by, you know, ruthlessly going after any employees who spoke out of line and installing his loyal deputies to run the key departments like HR, uh, legal, and public relations. So it was this sort of unified message where Fox News would every morning set daily talking points that all of the shows would push throughout the day and going into prime time which was the way a political campaign would would run. You would um, decide what is the message of the day, and then the campaign would go hammer those points. That was the ethos of Fox News. It was very different than a, a traditional news organization like CNN or the New York Times, where reporters are out in the, in the field and bringing the news back, and it kind of bubbles up from the bottom to the top. It was the inverse at Fox, where Ailes was deciding every day what the news uh, was to be covered. And that was, you know, revolutionary for its time, uh, and that he packaged it as a a news organization and not a opinion propaganda uh, outlet. And I think the the genius of the slogan "fair and balanced" was the idea that he was selling to his audience that they were getting, you know, fair, balanced news rather than conservative propaganda, because he knew that the audience didn't want to feel that they were being spun. They wanted to feel like they were getting, you know, legitimate information. And so Ailes was smart enough to know that you couldn't just feed them conservative red meat throughout the day. You had to have sprinkled throughout the programming just enough traditional journalists and uh, news reporters so that he could, you know, hold up, hold them up as a fig leaf to say, this is, look, we actually have real news here. This isn't just right-wing opinion. And so that, I think, was you know the, the genius because prior to Fox News, there had been attempts to start right-leaning television news outfits, and they were all unsuccessful. And I think one of the reasons they were unsuccessful is they, could, they were so easily dismissed as propaganda. And Ailes, for years, was able to mask and hide the true agenda of, of Fox by wrapping it in the, um, the appearance of journalism. What drove him personally over the five decades that he helped build this Republican political juggernaut through the use of media? What did Roger Ailes fundamentally believe? Well, uh, I think several things. That's obviously a very complicated question that I explore at de- in, in depth in my book. I mean, I think 
one of the one of the main drivers uh, that fueled Ailes's relentless drive uh, over his long career was the feeling of being looked down on by and not being accepted by the establishment. And I think that harkens back to what we were talking about earlier, his upbringing in Warren, Ohio, and coming from this working class background where his father was a factory foreman and ran the janitorial crew and was really looked down on and sneered at by the college-educated managers at the Packard Automotive Plant. And I think Ailes carried that forth uh, when he moved to New York City after the 68 campaign and never was was fully accepted in the, you know, the East Coast uh, establishment, even though Ailes became phenomenally wealthy and powerful. And by any stretch of the imagination, he was uh, a member of the establishment. He always cast himself as the outsider. And I think this, you know, the sense of needing to prove people wrong and defeating his perceived enemies and by any means necessary, I think really captures a lot of what drove him uh, throughout his career. Let's talk about Roger Ailes and the ascent of Donald Trump. Most pundits, as you know, wrote off Donald Trump as a candidate, even up to election day. Um, How did Ailes help give Trump a platform and get him elected? What did Ailes see in Trump? Well, Roger Ailes and Donald Trump knew each other for years. They were both, you know, fixtures in, you know, New York society really since the 80s and had been uh, longtime acquaintances. And when Donald Trump first flirted with the idea of running for president in 2012, I mean, he had earlier in his life in the late 80s and the 88 campaign had, had sort of floated the idea. But, you know, this was a in 2012, this was a moment when Trump traveled to New Hampshire. This was when he was stoking the birther conspiracy that Barack Obama was not an American citizen. Ailes recognized that Trump was becoming a, a right-wing celebrity, and he gave him a weekly call-in slot on Fox & Friends, the morning program on Fox News. And by Ailes giving Donald Trump a regular platform on Fox News to espouse his conspiracy theories and and views on the news of the day, it gave Trump invaluable uh, exposure to the Fox News audience, which is basically the base of the Republican Party. This is the primary news source for uh, Republican primary voters who determine uh, who gets nominated. And so Trump was trafficking in these ideas and conditioning voters to uh, really connect with his, you know, style of of bombast and, you know, saying inflammatory things. And so when Trump descended the escalator at Trump Tower in June of 2015 to announce that he was indeed running for president, the national media in many ways dismissed him. But the Fox News audience had already been ready for him. They had been seeing and hearing him speaking like a politician, speaking as one of them for three plus years. So um, I think you cannot really disconnect Donald Trump's rise to the Oval Office with the, the help and assistance he got from being a fixture on Fox News. Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News, um, the billionaire media mogul, He didn't think much of Donald Trump at first. Did um, Roger Ailes have to talk him into allowing Fox to um, essentially support this candidate? Well, that's a that's a great question. I mean, it's actually kind of more a little more complicated than that. Um, Rupert Murdoch is famously known as yes, he's a conservative, but he's a pragmatist, and he always thought that Donald Trump was a buffoon and kind of a distraction during the Republican primary, and. 
the number one issue that Murdoch actually cared about was immigration reform and was really much more of a moderate Republican and was supportive of candidates like Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush. Um, So when Donald Trump was really gaining traction with the Republican voters, you know, Murdoch was starting to get alarmed and he did attempt to kind of stage an intervention and directed Roger Ailes to uh, have Fox News hosts aggressively question Trump at the first Republican primary debate. But what happened was that when Megyn Kelly raised a question about Trump's history of offensive comments made to and about women, Trump stood up to her, as we've now seen so many times replayed uh, in the news, and sparked that feud. And, And at Fox, what the producers saw was that the audience, the viewers, were taking Donald Trump's side. And whenever uh, Megyn Kelly or another Fox News personality said something negative about Trump, they could actually track to see that the ratings would decline. And so for Rupert Murdoch, what happened was that he became captive to Donald Trump because the audience of Fox News was firmly in Trump's corner. And so now that Trump is president, Fox News is you know firmly in the tank for, for, for Trump, but that's in many ways a programming decision as it is a political one. Um, it's not that Rupert Murdoch has a deep affinity for Donald Trump. He just knows that the, the profits and the ratings of Fox News requires that the network continue to support him. So Roger Ailes um, is described by many as, a, as having a genius for television. What influence did he have or, or how did he handle the rise of social media? and the way that conservatives and the so-called alt-right have used it to help elect and support Trump? Well, I think the way Roger Ailes um, dealt with the rise of, of the internet and, and social media was by not dealing with it. You know, Ailes is, is famously a Luddite and, you know, would joke that, you know, why do people want to get their news from, from Facebook and Twitter when it's filled with just random musings of, of citizens? And the digital operation at Fox was known inside the channel as a backwater. Ailes put very little resources into it. He was a product of the TV age. And so I think Ailes largely missed the rise of new media voices like Breitbart News and, and others, uh, simply because he didn't use the internet. He was a uh, kind of an old school executive. He had um, a fleet of secretaries you know, doing his administrative work. So I think Fox was definitely lagging behind a lot of the new voices to emerge over the last 10 years, simply because Ailes was not engaged in wanting to be at the forefront of changes in the media. Roger Ailes was forced to step down from Fox News because of a long history of sexual harassment, and he died in 2017. How is he viewed now by Republicans and by conservatives? You know, that's a that also is a you know really fascinating question. I think that you know Ailes's legacy is will be clearly defined by the grotesque um, and well documented documented instances of sexual harassment and uh, abuse that were leveled by um, dozens of women in the wake of his ouster from Fox News. So I think he has largely been discredited as uh, a Republican icon. But I think there's a, you know, also a gratitude amongst Republicans that Ailes gave them such a powerful voice to alter the balance of power in the national media. Because if we go back to the beginning of our conversation about the 1968 campaign, that was an era in which 
the big three broadcast networks and the New York Times and the Washington Post determined what the agenda of the country was. And now in the age of Fox, there's a whole you know multitude of voices that can influence events. And Ailes constructed a, a media ecosystem where Republicans could, you know, stay inside their own information bubble and, you know, get news that reflected their world view. So as much as Ailes the man has been disgraced, I think his legacy at Fox in building a right-wing opinion organization and propaganda outlet that many people now characterizes, quote, state TV, I think, is cheered by many Republicans. So I think there's the, you have to separate the personal from the professional. Over the past 50 years, have there been any Democratic or liberal media figures like Roger Ailes? Can anyone on the other side of the aisle compare? It's really hard to compare. I mean, Ailes was such a, you know, sui generis, um, unique figure. You know, he was a combination of a political operative and a showman. He was both a producer and a propagandist. He was a, a whole ball of contradictions. And I think that's what made makes him such a compelling figure and such a consequential figure. The ideas and themes of the 1968 campaign, the silent majority and law and order and the class and cultural resentments that Nixon espoused in that campaign in which Ailes played such a pivotal role, continued to, f- to define our national politics. And Donald Trump is, in many ways, the logical endpoint of an era that has been defined by both television and the, the culture war that has never ceased since the, six, the clashes of 68. And so I think Ailes is at the center of all of that. And there's you know, no one that comes to my mind on the other side of the aisle that has played such a singular role in shaping the, the political world in which we all now live. Gabriel Sherman, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Gabriel Sherman, author of The Loudest Voice in the Room, a biography of the late Roger Ailes. Sherman is a special correspondent for Vanity Fair. Next time on Campaign 68, we'll talk about women's political power in 1968 and what it looks like today. Campaign 68 is a production of American Public Media and APM Reports. This episode was produced by Kate Ellis and me, Stephen Smith, along with Tracy Mumford. It was edited by Catherine Winter. Original music by Johnny Vince Evans and mixing by Zach Rose. Support for this program comes from the Olseth Family Foundation, working to improve community through support of the arts, education, the environment, and the underserved. Thanks for listening.